Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Welcome to all my regulars. And before I introduce the Throwback Thursday kind of episode, I need to pass along a couple of notes on the show. First of all, I hope we didn't lose anybody because after nine years, I changed podcast host. Everybody should be redirected to the new host. Obviously, if you're listening right now, you already are. If you have a friend who listens, make sure they notice this episode. The second thing, I'm very sorry I haven't been around for a couple of weeks. Been dealing with a couple of health issues. Had to make a couple of trips to the hospital. Luckily, it appears to be nothing major, although it felt like it. Trust me, uh, I'm still not feeling great. But I hope to get you guys a new show soon. And as I've pointed out recently, I'm adding a new video every day to my YouTube page from the archives. I'm well ahead, a couple of months ahead at this point. So I promise you for the next couple of months, you're going to get uh, new videos. If you go to the YouTube page every single day, we've had so much great Houston sports history over the past nine years. So if you haven't been a regular from the beginning, I think you're going to enjoy what I'm doing. It also means you don't have to go fishing through the podcast library. There are playlists for all the Houston teams and a playlist with anything Houston sports history related. There's also a playlist of shorts. If you'd rather not listen to a longer interview, you're short on time. You just want maybe a quick Houston sports fix, something Astros related, Texans, Rockets, whatever. Make sure to subscribe to my YouTube page. Look for our podcast logo to make sure it's me. The link is also on my Houston sports talk Twitter page, or you can go to the main website, houstonsportstalk.net. You'll find links all over the place because I'm I'm putting up the links also as I'm putting them up on YouTube. I'm also putting them up on the HoustonSportsTalk.net page. Also, while you're watching YouTube videos, like them, make a comment. Would love to hear from you guys. And it's also the best way to support what we're doing. So now let's get to the throwback Thursday. And we'll go to the time machine for my favorite interview subject on the show, Bob Aspermani. I interviewed the original Colt 45 Astro twice, the first time at the celebration of 50 years for the Astrodome, which you're about to hear. Then we spoke a couple of years later, had a deeper conversation about his career. Uh, just an amazing amount of great stories from Bob Aspermani. Uh, not only a great storyteller, just a fantastic guy too. And so let's step back into the throwback Thursday time machine and listen to both conversations. What a night, the Minute Maid, you get a chance to, I guess, relive 50 years, 50 years later since uh, the Astrodome opened. What does it feel like to think that that was 50 years ago already? That's hard to really believe when you look back and you look back that far. But then you add three more years. We played outdoors in the outdoor stadium watching this incredible stadium being built. And at that time, Houston was just a very small, moderate kind of a city size-wise. But the Dome created an atmosphere all over this country regarding the ball club as well as this incredible building alongside. What do you remember about that night? Well, it was very special that night because we had all the President of the United States, we had all the astronauts, we had all of the employees of the ball club, but most important was the Major League alumni as well. So what was created was an atmosphere of not only a first game, but everybody looking at this dome stadium. 
And then we had the astronauts throw out the, each one of us the ball from their stands, and I had Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard threw me the ball, and we became extremely close friends for a number of years because we were in the same business together. And I believe Alan Shepard was the first man to circle the Earth in outer space. Is that right? That's right. And Durkin, Durkin mentions that all the time. He was the first man in outer space, and Aspermani was the first one who hit the home run in the dome. <laughs> he tried both out of space. <laughs> and, and you, yeah, you hit the first home run in the Astrodome, but for an Astros player, everybody remembers Mickey Mantle. Does that bother you at all? That hey, what I hit the first one as an Astro? No, no, it really doesn't. That's a Mickey was just a superstar, and the way he performed that night, we were all very much impressed. Not only how the long, the long game that it took, but the way he handled himself and he hit the ball so far. It was just a perfect setting of who should do it. What was the difference between all of a sudden you're playing indoors, you're playing? I guess it was grass at the beginning, but it became AstroTurf. How did you guys have to adjust from going from playing outside and, and Houston heat <laughs> to playing in the Astrodome? Well, you know, when we started with the Co 45s, it was a bunch of young ball players in the early 20s playing outdoors. didn't bother them as much as the senior players. And the, the contrast between visiting players from New York, Chicago, and L.A. was a dramatic difference for them to play. But to watch the stadium being built... And then actually start to say it's the first year on grass and then make the adjustment with the AstroTurf the following year. And that was not as easy as you thought because it was like a, like a wet infield. The ball would kind of scoot on you. You had to play way back and make the adjustment. But it, it, we all adjusted well, and it, I wouldn't change that for anything in the world, I'll tell you. You had to change from uh, when the roof was clear to begin with, and then they had to. They realized they had made a mistake because you guys couldn't see the ball coming out of the roof, right? Yeah, that adjustment was made during the spring training. So the last week of spring training is when they painted the dome, made a massive triangle-shaped painting across home plate, so we were able to pick up the ball luckily. But before, it was very difficult, and that's why you know we replanted the grass three times the first season because of no sunlight. I want to come back to the Astros in a second, but if I have this right, you were a Brooklyn guy, and you were signed originally by the Brooklyn Dodgers when you were a teenager, and you played your first game in 1956, the year after they won that first championship after so many years. You got to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers, but you got one game, right? That's right. It was incredible. I was 17 years old, just graduated from high school, I was signed by the Brooklyn Dodgers, and I joined a team in Brooklyn, and Walter Olson was our manager, and the first thing he says, Bobby, I want you to go field some ground balls with Jackie Robinson, Pee Wee Reese, and Gil Hodges, and I just stared at him. I couldn't believe where I was, and I finally went around and started fielding some ground balls with him, and I had an oversized glove. It was more like an outfielder's glove, and I kept feeling it, and Jackie says, Bobby, that's an outfielder's glove. You need an infielder's glove. Here, try my glove. And I used his glove, Jackie Robinson, who went through lots of feeling of ground balls. Then I said, Jackie, thank you, Jackie. He said, no, Bobby, you keep that glove. I kept that glove for a long, long time. And, we'd be, and he took care of me when I was a kid. Let me ask you also, you, you, you had the one at bat. It was a strikeout. Was, was that a situation where they brought you up to kind of give you a taste and because you had signed? Or, or what was the situation behind bringing you up for just one game? Well, most important in that game was that the Dodgers were leading 17-3. to so, so sacrificing that young kid to go ahead and swing the bat was fine. They just gave me a little feel. 
And it was so funny when I got back in the dugout, they were all kind of surrounding me, you know, about when I struck out. And he said, that's okay, Bobby. That's the way to start the career. <laughs> what was Jackie Robinson like? Well, this past week we celebrated once again the anniversary of him breaking the color barrier in baseball. What was he like when you met him? What do you remember about that besides him giving you the glove? Well, it wasn't just a glove. That's, that, I was incredibly impressed with Jackie on and off the field, and the way he handled himself is such a first-class way to handle it. And, you know, he did a special taking care of me at that young age, and he showed me a lot not only on the field but off the field. And that combination was so important. But Jackie was a, such a respected individual, and what he went through he deserved, and we all said that many times, how much deserving of a credit he does. And he was one outstanding ball player. But I had a good relationship with him. A young kid, I've got great photos, great, great pictures of he and I to this day. Think about that. And I was the last Brooklyn Dodgers to play the major leagues. Yeah, I, I read about that as well. And, and, and so you get sent down. But by the time you get back in the major leagues, there, there is no Brooklyn. You, what, what, what was that feeling like? I, I, that was my team, and I get signed by them, and now they're gone. Well, Walter O'Malley at that time, they made an adjustment. They wanted to build a, a first-class stadium in Brooklyn, and they were, they were just not able to handle that. So they moved the franchise. But at the same time, being so young, Walter O'Malley and his son, Walter put me in the service, in the Army, for a year and a half. So I was able, rather than sit the bench and not utilize that time, because in those years you had to stay two years in the big leagues once you sign a contract. And so that was fortunate enough to use that time for that service. And uh, But L.A. was incredible what he did out there. I want to take you back to Houston and before the Astrodome even began. And I want you to tell the story that I think is the greatest baseball story ever. Try to set it up a little bit and then I'll let you pick it up. But... Nine-year-old Bill Bradley from Arkansas, nine-year-old kid who was a big baseball fan, he comes to Houston because he had lost his sight. He'd, lightning had hit, and I believe a water fountain that he was drinking at, and so he lost his sight. He comes to Houston, and he's in the hospital, and then can you pick up the story from there? An incredible feeling. He was an Astro, a Cole 45 fan at the time, and I was his favorite player. So the family called the ballpark and said, Bobby, would you sign all of these autographs for Billy? I said, oh, sir, where is Billy? They told me he's in the hospital. So I visited him in the hospital. I took him a glove and a ball and a little bat. And then we start the relationship that way. And this kid was all bandaged up. It's incredible. With a big smile on his face when I walked in. And as we were talking for about 10 minutes, and after I said, Billy, i got to go now, go to the stadium. He says, Bobby, would you hit me a home run? I said, I hesitated. I said, Billy... I'm not a home run hitter, but I'll give you my best, best effort. Last of the ninth inning, he has his little transistor radio in a hospital. I hit the game-winning home run. Now everybody's picking it up. Gene Elson's, and they're all talking about the Bill Bradley story of blind faith. He goes in to operate one eye at a time the following week. That lasted about six, eight weeks. He comes back in town, and now I take him to family to lunch, and he says, Bobby... Would you hit me a home run? I said, Billy, you're really pushing your luck, Billy. <laughs> Would you accept a couple of base hits? And he started laughing. I said, Billy, I'm going to hit a home run for you. You have inspired me incredible. This is hard to believe. But the last of the 10th inning, 2-2, I hit a grand slam home run for him. And the story continues on. He comes back the following year after being operated on the second eye. 
and we did the same thing, the family, take everybody to lunch, and we were talking about everything, how fortunate we are. And again, he asked me, Bobby, would you hit a home run I can see? I said, Billy, I'm getting a lot of home run, a lot of help. I said, divine intervention is, is really helping, such as Bob Aspermani hitting these home runs. Last of the first inning, I hit another grand slam home run for him. And he's in the stands, and everybody's just going absolutely crazy. And I, we got retrieved the ball, and I gave Billy the ball. And the overall game was stopped for four or five minutes just to, for everybody to really recognize this young boy. And then the story goes on two years later, and we're corresponding pretty regularly on you know, where he is going to school. He's now 12 years old, and he pitched a seven-inning no-hit game for me. And each time I hit a home run, Gene Nelson would say, this one's for you, Billy, this one's for you. And in the Arkansas paper, this one's for you, Bobby, when the kid pitched a no-hit game. Hey, it's the most incredible story. And there's so much to it, the feelings that, was, that you come up with. And then later on, you had something happen to you with your eyes, and you almost lost your vision, and then you guys got reconnected again, didn't you? That's right. All the things I told this young kid at the time, 12, 14 years later, I was charging a battery, and the individual cap hit me in the right eye. And I went through lots of procedures, and, and Billy's there for me. And we talked about his experience, and here we are 12, 14 years later with just the right eye going through all I've, I went through. So it was, it was this, the whole scenario of how it all began and ended. And thank God we're all fortunate enough everything is fine. To me, it seems like your life has almost been like a movie. Do you feel like that? Does it feel as magical to you as it, as it does from the outside? You know why there's such a special feeling? Because this blind faith story is recognized all over the country. I, I get more autograph seekers today, more than when I played, because they recognize the story. They look at all the statistics. They look at all the grand slams and everything. And it's incredible how they respond to it. There's such a sensitivity in what they ask for. And it makes you, it makes you feel very special. Do you still keep in touch with Billy? I, I heard he was living in Memphis was the last thing I read, I think. Yes, he was. But we were, we were, I was very, I'm very active with the Houston Eye Associates here. And we had a big function. They honored myself and my wife. And uh, we went through the whole scenario telling the blind fate story in front of 400 people. And as I finished the story, I said, that kid that I hit the home runs for, and he pitched the note in, is sitting right there. There wasn't a dry eye in the place when that happened. Billy got up and spoke, and the place just went absolutely crazy. I don't have to ask you what your favorite moment is as a player because I'm sure that's got to be it. But what has been your favorite moment over the years as an Astros fan? Because I know you've stayed in Houston and you've lived here, and this is your team for life. You didn't go back to Brooklyn. So what, what's been your favorite moment just kind of watching the team over the years? Well, it's, it's been a lot of fun, especially when you experience 15 years of Major League Baseball and watch the transition of the different franchises. And I was here, I was, I was in the beer business for 30 years. I had a distributorship, so I was very active here on the stadiums. And to see the, all these individual players and the changes that took place, you know, when you look at Craig Biggio, that's, a, that's a, not only a Hall of Famer, he not only is the best Astro, he was great on and off the field. And, I, and you have a lot of respect for somebody like that. Does it seem like to you like it does to us that the, there's an inordinate amount of really good people that played for the Astros, not just good players, but really good people? When you look at the number of players that are in the Houston area, metro, in the Metroplex area, 
and how they contributed not only for their own self-interest, but also what they helped so many others. In the combination, whenever we all get together, we all recognize how important it was for us to, to help and continue to expand with the ball club. Just one last thing, Jimmy Wynn, you got a chance to play with him. He's at Minute Maid as we're doing this interview with you as well, and he's just one of the great home run guys. He's one of those good guys that we talk about. What was it like to play with Jimmy, and what do you think he would have done if he would have played in a ballpark, not the Astrodome, where he might have been able to get a couple more home runs? Let's look at this left field right now. Jimmy was incredible. He had incredible power. He had like more of a golf swing, and he generated incredible power. This He's a 5'8 body with strength. And, I re- and, and the way he performed and hit so many home runs, but in Minute Maid ballpark, this guy would hit 50 home runs a year. Comfortably. I, I, I feel so strongly about that. Joining me is one of the original Astros, and we talked with him before about a couple of years ago on the 50th anniversary, but uh, great to have him back, Bob Aspermani, the first Astro to hit a home run in, in, in the Astros uniform, or Colt 45s back in that time, that you, you had the first hit and the first run. Is that all right? First first hit and first run with the Colt 45s, and that's the first home run in the Astrodome for an Astro player. I want to get uh, to some of the Astro stuff, but I, I want to take you back further than that because I have this strange fascination with the, the 40s and the 50s in, in, in Brooklyn, and you grew up in that era, and it was a, this incredible Brooklyn Dodgers era. The Ebbets Field was how far away from you when you were growing up in Brooklyn? You could walk there, I would imagine, right? It was only about 10 minutes away, and actually we, we idolized those players incredibly so. The impact they had on that environment the old Brooklyn Dodgers, Gil Hodges and Duke Snyder and Pee Reese, they created a tremendous atmosphere for a lot of young people. Jackie's, when he breaks the color barrier, and I, it was 46, 47, I guess, and, and you were maybe just a little kid, right, at that time? Oh, yes. I was only seven, eight years old. What kind of impact does it make when you're a little kid and, and you see that happen? Did, is it something that uh, sticks with you? Did, you? did you understand what was going on at all, have an idea? I think you, you, understanding the exact situation that was transpiring was a little difficult at that age. But as you grow a little older, get into the high school environment and watch this incredible player play this incredible game the way he did. And he was doing that on and off the field. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jackie. And I've got an incredible story that he and I experienced. i never forget when... I signed a contract with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Walt Olson was the manager. He says, Bobby, I want you to go field some ground balls before the game with Jackie Robinson, Pee Wee Reese, and Gil Hodges. Well, that little body wouldn't move. <laughs> it just didn't move. And eventually when I got there, I had this kind of oversized glove. It's more like an outfielder's glove. So as we're catching and feeling the ground balls, Jackie says, Bobby, that's more of an outfielder's glove. You need an infielder's glove. Here, try my glove. So I used his glove, and we did very well there for quite a while before the game. And I said, oh, Jackie, thank you, thank you. He says, no, Bobby, you keep that glove. And I kept that glove for many, many years. Do you still have the glove to this day? You still got it. That's great. Well, um, let me get uh, a little bit into Brooklyn because you, you, you went to Lafayette High School in Brooklyn. And there were some famous actors that were there at the time. I don't even know if you know these guys, but Paul Sorvino and Michael Lerner. 
Paul Sorvino. Uh, everybody knows him, I think, more for his daughter these days, uh, Mira Sorvino, but uh, he's a, still a, a fantastic actor. And, and Michael Lerner was uh, nominated for an Academy Award. Were those guys that you knew at all back in that time? Because I think they were going to school right right around the time you were going there. Well, right around, you know, it's so funny. We're, we're the baseball environment and the sports environment, it was really a lot different. We were so close to everyone except besides the uh, the entertainers. As you know, we had a lot of singers and victimones, and we had a lot of professional people that really did well. Yeah, Larry King, I think. Larry to, King, that's right. <laughs> he was a graduate from Lafayette High School. So, yeah, lots of great guys that went to school there. And uh, we talked about it. You, you mentioned the story about Jackie Robinson when you got up. You, you just got one at bat, and we talked about how – uh, you struck out in your one at bat, and and they were it was already seventeen to three at the time that you came up in the game, but uh, you, you got to play with all these guys when you were with the Dodgers a little bit, uh, those guys in Brooklyn. But th- you came back and you played a little bit, and and for the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think there was a military stint in there somewhere too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, between those two stints, and then uh, some of the guys that you played with, and I I just wondered if you had a story, Don Drysdale. Sandy Koufax. Tell me about those two guys. What do you remember? I remember an awful lot about those two. Two outstanding pitchers, but also individuals. And Sandy Koufax graduated from Lafayette High School. He's our superstar. (laughs) So we had 12 major leaguers graduating from our Lafayette High School, and Sandy was the absolute superstar. And uh, and that's Don Drysdale. What an incredible career he had. And Really very inspirational, helping young people, too. They were very involved in that. And I like the situation where uh, how we grew together. And Sandy is almost three years older than I, and he was with the Dodgers. And then when I joined the Dodgers, they put the two Lafayette High School boys together on a road trip. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> the young two young kids going on a Brooklyn Dodger road trip together. After graduating from Lafayette High School, and Sandy was a pretty quiet guy, from what I from what I've heard. He still is, very much so. Just a just a wonderful guy, and very uh, considerate and gentle. Let me ask you about a couple other of those guys because it's like the whole team is full of guys that are of lore at this point. Duke Snyder, Pee Wee Reese, Gil Hodges. Anything that you remember from those guys? Gil Hodges really took care of me, Robert. It was incredible how he took care of that eighteen-year-old boy. And uh, that was on and off the field. He made me understand exactly what was taking place. And the relationship grew as I continued to grow and come to Houston and do all of the uh, baseball playing here. And the most interesting thing about this, I wore number 14 because of Gil Hodges. And Gil Hodges, number not two, was 14. He was just an idolized guy, just very respectful. And then almost 15 years later, Gil traded me to join the New York Mets in my last year. So the funniest part of that relationship, I says, uh, Gil, you're always sitting on the bench. Let me wear 14. You <laughs> he looked at me and said, Bobby, you're number two. <laughs> <laughs> and your manager was Walter Alston, Walter. another great guy. What do you remember about him? Well, Walter was really strong, quiet strong but gentle at the same time he really had control you know as you know he wasn't one of the guys who would jump on the news media and say all the things that you're supposed to but he was uh very very successful in how he handled that ball club when you got all those superstars it's not easy to run everybody and to play like they did play 
Now, is this true? Uh, I'm going to go to your Houston days because I love this story. There was a Bob Aspermani night at one point in Houston, and you can tell me if this is true. They gave you 3,000 pounds of spaghetti. I guess it was bring your spaghetti for Bob Aspermani, and 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 you also got a uh, trip to Italy from the from all this, and and then you donated all the spaghetti to the to the local hospitals. What do you remember about all oh, that? Oh, that was that was a very special evening when they honored me. That was my 1,000 game as an Astro, and the interesting thing about it. They wanted to create Aspro the Aggie Night. Aspro the Aggie Night. So they had all the Aggies and the Texas A&M group. And, and one, of the, one of the most incredible situations was that they wanted the young students to come out. And they had over five, 600 people. And as they started the ceremonies, and we all gave so much to the Texas Children's Hospital, and they gave me a trip to Rome, Italy. And it was just impressive, you know, to start the game like that, and they're all applauding, Asprodiagi, Asprodiagi. The game starts, first inning. An easy ground ball comes to me, goes right through my legs for an error. Stands was so quiet. <laughs> the Aggies didn't say a word. And, I can, and the inning was over. Now the last of the first inning, bases loaded, two outs, and I come to the plate. And, you know, I've hit some Grand Slam home runs. So they're all yelling, Aspro, Grand Slam, Aspro, Grand Slam. And sure enough, I struck out. So now I'm walking back towards third base and all my little Aggie buddies alongside me. And then a couple of them start to yell out, make it a one-way trip. Make it a one-way trip. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think you said – you said that uh, the the fans were sorry they hadn't given me a one-way ticket to, to Italy because you had such a bad year the next year. <laughs> and you played with uh, – over your time, I want to get your thoughts on some of the guys that you played with because, boy, uh, some really good players. Joe Morgan, what do you remember about a young Joe Morgan? That was a guy that, as an Astro fan, was so, so frustrating because, you know, he has that great part of his career with all with the Cincinnati Reds. But, you know, he spent all of his growing up in Houston. Joey was a, an outstanding second baseman, and he was strong. He had some power. And he had the combination of being able to do an awful lot on the field and hitting and fielding and just a total player. And to watch this young kid grow, especially alongside with Jimmy Wynn and Rusty Staub, and we had a lot of young outstanding players growing at that time. But Joey was special. You can tell that was very coming. He was coming on very fast and how he's handled himself and played. Let me get another guy, uh, Eddie Matthews. The Astros get him at the end of his career. What do you remember about him? Well, Eddie had joined our ball club as a, you know, as a utility player who worked with the young kids. He was the veteran player, and he, he also assisted me and a lot of the infielders as we played. But Eddie had an incredible career. I mean, we all idolize him when he, when he joined the ball club and watched him hit the ball in spring training and say, look at the career this man had. Hit his 500th home run with the Astros as well. Uh, Larry Durker, you had to understand what Larry was going through because Larry comes up when he's 18 years old to pitch his first game, and you came up with the Dodgers at 17. What do you remember? Did you talk to Larry and say, oh. this is how you handle it? Yeah. Larry, we had a funny first first game that Larry pitched. He's pitching so well, and and uh, it's at the top of the ninth inning. It, it lasts the eighth inning. They're ahead. We're losing the game. The Dodgers were ahead. So at the top of the ninth inning, 
we needed a couple of runs to tie the score, and Larry's waiting. He says, "I want to. I got a pitch in the last to the ninth inning." And then naturally, we lost the game, three outs. And Larry says, "Do I go take the field now?" I said, "No, Larry. We lost the game." <laughs> <laughs> and Mickey Herschel, it's all. He wrote a great story about that. How good a pitcher was Larry? Because. You know, I grew up, I, I only know the Larry Durker that was the broadcaster. And like a lot of fans, it was the broadcaster, the manager. Um, people might not remember Larry the pitcher. How would you describe him? How, how good was he? He was very good. I mean, he had a couple of 20-game winning seasons. He pitched a lot of key games. He pitched often, had a lot of innings. And he won, you know, the key games. Larry was always there for that ball club as we as that team grew. And and during the eighties and nineties, and that's when he became manager. There was a, 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 a tremendous transition from his playing days to manager. He was pretty consistent in how he controlled that game. Do you have a couple of Doug Raiders stories? Because I heard he he might have been a little bit of a character. A uh, <laughs> little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Doug was a heck of a ball player. I tell you, he gave himself a hundred percent on that field. But we had some funny stories about Doug. I'll never forget it. He had a home run that was. I don't know, one of the long, longest hit in the Astrodome. And we uh, we teased him about that. And and we, it says, how, how did you hit the ball so far when you, you know, when you talk so much? And uh, sure enough, he, he continued on. So Doug Rader, another one of the guys you play with. Um, one more guy I want to ask you about, Bob Watson. I remember the back end of his career. What was the young Bob Watson like as a player? Well, Bobby was a very talented, gifted individual. Bobby was good. On, especially in key situations, which I think is very important to see, in game-winning situations where you needed that base hit or you needed that extra base hit to score that run, and Bobby was there, and he was always there in a nice way of making sure that the plays, all of us, respected not only what he was doing, but what we're all were doing. And he had that player atmosphere to him. Bobby's special. The early days in Houston – you get here, you're you're selected in the expansion draft. What did you think? Because I don't know what you knew about Houston before you got here, and how were the fans? Did they seem knowledgeable to you? They had been uh, had a little baseball with the Cardinals Double A and the Houston Buffs over the years. What were those early days? What do you remember? Well, it was a lot of a lot of memories, and being a youngster coming into a city, it was that time not a major league city. It was only five hundred thousand people in the city limits. And when you look at Judge Roy Hoffines and R.E. Bob Smith, what they did in making sure this became a major league franchise by putting this incredible eighth one of the world together, the Astrodome. When we started that in 1962, when you look at a new franchise, they knew very little about the game of baseball because it was football-oriented. And we put on many, many different uh, functions to educate the youngsters and we were very active in the community and the player fan relationship was really growing and grew very rapidly and especially before the Astrodome so we had two to three years working towards this incredible opening of the dome that I think was one of the greatest experiences uh, that I've ever experienced and so many others felt the same way. People think of the 50s and 60s maybe a baseball as the golden era. Do you think that's, as somebody that's went through it, do you feel like it's overplayed? I'm sure it wasn't as golden for you to, to travel on a, on a, on a public, uh, public airline when you guys went around or maybe before that. I, I think you were 
post the, 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 the traveling on trains and stuff like that. You, you'd rather prefer the, the golden era of the private uh, non-commercial jets. But uh, what, what was it like to, to play in that era? And do you feel like that was a golden era of baseball? I, I think you could use the word golden era. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The relationships that was established by the star players and the fans, there was no gap there. I mean, they made sure that everybody had that feel that that they appreciate you being there as the fan and supporting them. And a lot of players did that because of the relationships with the fan, I think is critically important, but also the players. Some of these players, you know, they played 160 games a year. You know, they played all the time. And and now these kids here are so gifted and talented, they're, they're – when we when we look at the physical workouts that they go through for 12 months a year, it's incredible what they can do. And that's why I think the players nowadays and the, the atmosphere of the game because of that is, is very critical. What was the biggest game in your time with the Astros as a team? We talked about the great story with you individually and hitting a home run. We talked about that last time. That was great for you individually, but was there a game for the team of those of those time because they weren't really that competitive at the, at that era in the '60s? No, but every time there was a key game, playing a, a Dodgers or the the Giants, and and there's a key situation late in the innings. You know, we were able to come through a few games, and especially doing that in the Astrodome, we played a 24 inning game in the Astrodome. We won the game one nothing, and I hit the ball. Uh, to win the game. So when you look at situations like that, we've had a, quite a few experiences like that, but but we didn't have a great seasons. We lost a lot of games, but still uh, the atmosphere was great. Let me ask you some quick questions. I'm going to run through a few things. The best all-around player that you played with in your career, who would you say that was? Well, the, the best all-around, naturally, when I, I look at the different times, the Dodgers, and the Astros and ourselves. And I got to go back when you experience as a youngster, these incredible players like a Jackie Robinson, like a Duke Snyder, Pee Wee Reese, the the years that they had and how they played for as long as they did. And the caliber of play was incredible. But you played with Hank Aaron. He's pretty good too. To me, Hank Aaron was the best. Oh, I, I, I really did. As an individually on and off the field, he was the best. This incredible stroke that he had, to be able to hit the ball as with the distance, but as often as he had to hit those home runs like he did, what a great way to uh, to look at somebody who you'd admire at the same time showed no no showmanship. No, they didn't show off at all. Now let me get the best pitcher that you played with and the one best pitcher that you faced, uh, because we talked about you. You played with. Uh, Sandy Koufax, and you played with John Drysdale. This could be a tough uh, answer for you to get out of, but who was the best one that you played with? We'll start off with that one. <laughs> the interesting uh, the one I played with, uh, I'm going to have to say you mentioned the two great names there, which is incredible. But from more consistency, there was no one who pitched better than Sandy Koufax for that six-year period in the history of the game. When you look at that, You've got to say, Sandy, it's incredible. You can look it up. You can make notify, notify the numbers that were experienced. Did you face did. him? And you know what else I did, Robert? They hit two home runs oh, off. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, each, 
Every time I hit a home run, I would come back in the dugout, and all the all, all my teammates would say, "Sure, you went to school with him. That's why he laid it right in there for you." <laughs> uh, who was the best one that you faced? Uh, I mean, uh, you faced Sandy, but g- give me another one. A guy oh, that- easy, most difficult pitcher that I have ever faced was Bob Gibson. I got my first big league hit off of Bob Gibson. And 15 years later, I was waiting for the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on your back by the next time you faced him? That's right. <laughs> he probably put you down for that one. Your favorite stadium that you visited, uh, favorite stadium to go to as a player? Dodger Stadium is very special, even to this day. <clears throat> and that's got to be 55-year-old stadium. And uh, it, the atmosphere of how O'Malley put that together was just incredible how you can drive to the certain locations of your seats and and the atmosphere of the outside of the ballpark was beautiful. But to this day, the way they keep that stadium is outstanding. Yeah, Chavez Ravine, and, and you enjoyed that one more than you went to Wrigley, I'm sure. And, and, and Fenway, I don't know if those had the, the, the magic that they do now because they are the oldest stadiums at that point and when, you, when you were playing. Well, Wrigley, Wrigley, you always had a special feeling there. And I'm telling you, when you took that feel and the fans and you see that incredible stadium and the age of the stadium, and uh, it, it was very special because of the, the ability to hit, hit some home runs. At the same time, the atmosphere of the, of the stadium was outstanding. Now I got a couple of other things that you can tell me if this is true. You made national headlines in 1968 by refusing to play on the National Day of Mourning following the assassination of Robert Kennedy, the, the the great senator. What happened? What do you remember about that? Well, I remember an awful lot about that. Uh, I was player representative, and we were making that decision. The major league was saying that we're not going to play on that day, and everybody agreed to it. But there was a last-minute change that everybody says, we're going to play and actually create the atmosphere before the game about what took place. Well, with my position at that time, uh, I felt very strongly that I would not going to be able to make that change after being so strong in favor of not playing. And uh, Rusty Staub was the other player, as well as Maury Wills. And we created a, a feeling that it, it was just not right for us because we took such a strong position and felt so strong about it. And what I received from the Kennedy families and letters in telegrams was absolutely incredible. I got every one of those saved, and it was a very special time. Which Kennedys did you get here from? Well, Jacqueline and, and, and oh, actually, uh, what we talk about when you look at uh, uh, Ted, and you're talking, about, you're talking about the family of, of uh, you got me blank right now. J- Jackie and Ted, they wrote you? Yes. Oh, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, let me ask you also, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you were once traded for a pitcher named Ron Herbel. Does that name sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> what a transaction that was. Nobody heard about that one. <laughs> now, let me tell you about Herbel because this was pretty – this is not going to make you feel good, but he has the worst career batting average in Major League history with a minimum of 100 at-bats. He hit 029. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, also you were traded for Marty Martinez. Is, you remember oh, yes, that? yes, yes, yes. And and he didn't – now, Marty Martinez didn't hit one home run in his 945 major league at-bats, but he was the guy that scouted and signed Edgar Martinez and Omar Vizquel later on. Oh. So, 
So I don't know if you remember that much about those guys, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, when we were talking about great pitchers that you faced and, and you played with, these guys you played with, they were younger at the time, but when you went to the Mets, Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. We had an incredible ball club. The New York Mets, when you look at Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, and you you look at the, the ability that they had at that age and the control they had with Gentry is the other one. The, the list gun, Kuzman was the other one. You had four or five outstanding pitchers and all youngsters. And remember what they did in 1969. Uh, I was with the Braves then. And they actually beat us and then went into the World Series and won the World Series for Gil Hodges. What about a, a young Nolan Ryan? Do you have any – did you talk to him? Oh, yes. We, Nolan, Nolan's been a friend for a long time. And actually being in Houston environment and with the ball club, we were together an awful lot. And, I, and Ruth Ryan, and they're just super people. I mean, they really are. And he, so I respect them a lot. Also on the Mets team that you played with, I believe, was Tug McGraw. And McGraw, people know Tug McGraw for his for his son, the country singer now. But uh, Tug McGraw was a hell of a pitcher, wasn't he? Oh, yes. He came in in the late innings and did a great job. He was always in total control, tough guy. He was good. He was not able to sing, though. <laughs> 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 We've had to pass it on. Now, also, you you played with these future managers, and let me ask you if you thought that any of these guys were going to be managers, and any memories that you've got it from them. But you played with Walt Riniak, who's great hitting coach, legendary hitting coach too. Walt Riniak, Dusty Baker, and Roger Craig. Is that right? All three of those guys you played with, and all three of them became major league managers. Did you realize as you're playing with them, oh, these guys could be a managing down the road. They, they know their stuff. I think Roger Craig I felt that way about. I really did. Because he, uh, Roger was a key individual pitcher for the Dodgers, but the way he handled himself too, the way he handled the, the players, I had a lot of respect for him, and a lot of people did too. And, and you know, he was – Dusty was known as pretty – Roger was known as pretty feisty, but Dusty maybe even feistier. Feisty of Dusty, that's right. Dusty, and he had an incredible baseball career himself, and I think that had a lot to do with following that up with becoming a manager. They were competitors, I oh, would yes, assume. Yes, they were. Um, let me ask you about – we talked about him earlier, but, you know, Hank Aaron. Boy, uh, you were playing it with Hank Aaron. It was later in his career, towards the end, but – it wasn't long after that where he hits uh, the, the home run that surpasses uh, Babe Ruth. Uh, what do you remember about Hank Aaron, the player? Did you, did you get a chance to see him much in his prime? Did, were you playing against him and on other teams in his prime? And, and, and just talk about what he did that was so great on a baseball field. I played against him actually most of my career. Then had the opportunity to be a teammate of his for two years and to watch him play. And on, on, on a regular basis, the way he generated the power and the way the, the way he controlled himself in the field. And Hank has such a low-key atmosphere to himself. He didn't, nothing braggadocious. He's very straightforward, the nicest guy he can be. And then you watch him perform on that field. Everybody just kind of lit up like a light bulb. Orlando Cepeda, there's another guy that you played with with the Braves. Uh, what do you remember? What what what, what was uh, Orlando Cepeda like as a player and as a teammate? Orlando, naturally, the great first baseman. We used to tease him all the time because he he was we not able to move as well as we we wanted him to. We used to tease him, to, but Orlando was one great ball player as well, and he performed very well for a long period of time. And he was fun to play around and fun to be with. 
and he made the game uh, really enjoyable. The Astros, playing with the Astros, what, what's so special, do you feel like, about that part of your career? Because you, you start off the franchise and you decided to make Houston home. Uh, this place, the, the city of Houston, obviously, has become a real part of your life. And, and you're a Brooklyn kid. It doesn't necessarily connect the two, the two cities. They're very, very different, I'm sure. Um, why, why Houston and, and what, what has made this place so special for you? Well, I think most important is when you're a youngster coming into the city of Houston, starting a new franchise and creating new relationships, and watch the growth that took place on and off the field. But mostly when they watch this incredible dome stadium being built and to be part of that. And we did a lot of off-the-field relationships with the teams and charitable organizations to stimulate the interests of what we can do. And to be part of the growth, I was very fortunate because from there I went into the business community. I had 15 years of major leagues, and I had almost 30 years in the business community. And it it created that atmosphere when I got uh, able to get a distributorship here right after my playing days from for Houston, Texas. Who do you think, because you've seen a bunch of them, who's the best pitcher in Astros history? Because there's a lot of guys to choose from, J.R. Richard and Nolan Ryan, and, and Mike Scott had a couple of great years, Cy Young years, and Roy Oswalt, and you know Don Wilson, the late Don Wilson, was a really good pitcher as well. Who do you feel like's the best Astros pitcher that you've seen? Well, I think it's, I think it's pretty tough to single one individual out because you had several that really did very well in the names you mentioned. So you look at it from the standpoint, they all were successful in their times. And, the, and to be the best, it's very tough to single out the best when you have so many that did so well. Best hit, best hitter or best player, maybe. Best all-around player for the Astros. Biggio is the guy that, that seems to be the gold standard. But, you know, I've talked with a couple of other guys, including Tal Smith. He'll tell you that Cesar Cedeno was as talented as anybody he's ever seen who do, who do you feel like is the best player in Astros history? I agree that Cesar was a very talented individual, was able to play very well on and off. But I thought that Craig Biggio is the number one Astro in the franchise history. When you play 20 years like he played, and he played so often, and uh, to watch the total dedication of, of his playing days and the success he had for a second baseman, I, he's, he's the, my number one. When you played with the Astros, who were the guys that were your friends? Who, do, who were your buddies? And I'm sure there's some of them that you probably continue to stay connected with today. Who were the guys that uh, you really yeah, bonded little, with back in that time? We had a lot of, we had a lot of friends. When you, when you look back, you know, my, my Rusty Staub days, Joey Malfitano, Al Spangler, Carl Warwick. You know, we have a lot of players living here in Houston, Texas, as you know. And to this day, uh, we get together occasionally, not you for golf tournaments or anything, but but uh, Hal Smith, the catcher, uh, it, it, we have a lot of the players that played in the 60s here in Houston right now. Would you have liked to have played today with the shift? Would, would you have been able to take advantage of the shift? Do you, do you like uh, the idea of what they're doing as a philosophy of, of shifting everybody? Or would it have driven you crazy? <laughs> I think it would have driven me crazy. But at the same time, I think it's successful, but I don't like it. I think, it, I think it takes an awful lot away from a lot of situations that could occur. And you, you're sure there's pull hitters, there's streak hitters, there's all the different kind of hitters that you can focus on. But I think the overall game part of it, there's a lot of open feel there. 
that people can take advantage of, but you know, you you have to do it. Is there anybody that you played with or played against uh, from your era that you feel like deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, I think the one that's taking place right now is the one I thought should be, and that's Jeff, and that's Bagwell. And I, I think I think it took a little time. I understand that, but at the same time, Bagwell did a great. He had a rough last three years because of injuries, but you realize what he accomplished throughout the years. But I think I think you know when you look back, there's a there's a lot of great players, and it's tough to really say you know when you to qualify for the Hall of Fame it requires an awful lot. Some people would say, guy, you played with Gil Hodges. We mentioned earlier. I have supported Gil on a regular basis, on an annual basis, talking to every one of the nominees about Gil Hodges, one of the greatest first baseman, individual, dedicated person to the game of baseball. Everybody loved him. How could you leave this man out of this Hall of Fame? Is outrageous. What about this current Astros team? Uh, I mean, everybody is pretty darn excited. What do you see when you see these guys? Because, you know, I've pointed out a couple of different times this team has a lineup. They can put out nine guys that can hit 20-plus home runs. Uh, the pitching is uh, – they've got some good, really good solid guys, but maybe uh, unless Lance McCullers and, and Dallas Keuchel can stay healthy and, and you get the Dallas Keuchel that you got a couple of years ago, you don't necessarily have the overpowering guys. Lance McCullers is the one of that group. How do you feel about this team, uh, and, and how does it look against some of the other teams that you've seen over the years? I think, the, I think the chances of this ball club going all the way is very good. This is an incredibly young, talented ball club. I mean, look at your positions, how these kids can not only play the game on the field as well as, uh, I should say, hitting as well as feeling. They do everything. They have speed. They have the ability. When you see Springer diving for balls at 45-degree angles, I mean, these kids can play this game very well, and I think it's going to go a long way. Pitching actually has to improve. They really know that. But at the same time, I think it will. And I think this, the future is very bright. You talked about Craig Biggio and what he was able to accomplish. If Altu- Jose Altuve continues on this, is he going to overtake Biggio? Is he, does he better talent than even Biggio, maybe? Well, I mean, when you look at the f- f- four or five years it's taken place, it's incredible. This kid's only 26 years old. Look what he's accomplished. And now he's starting to hit some home runs. I mean, each year there's a new transition to the success of his ability. And uh, I and I like his attitude. You know, he, he keeps wanting to do better. Nothing is satisfactory to him. We, we talked about Tal Smith about this. Uh, I guess you can't underestimate the small second baseman because Joe Morgan was the same guy. I mean, is there anybody that you would compare him to? Is Joe Morgan the closest guy at that size to be able to do the things that he can do? I think Joe Morgan, yeah, he's closer, but Joe is a little stronger looking to me. You know, this he's five foot six. And to see the, the incredible strength that comes out of the body and how he moves that bat across that ball, it's, it's uh, very impressive. And the ball, how that ball jumps off the bat for a young Five foot six kid is incredible. What do you think they should do to the, with the Astrodome? I mean, do you have any good ideas? Because we're we're looking for some. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. We're working very hard, and Judge Edmund has just been incredible saving that Dome Stadium. And I feel very strongly about it because you know when you, when you started and watched this city grow because of the dome, and and now it's an historical site. We need to do something that can salvage the incredible impression it's given to the city of Houston by doing a lot of good things. 
A lot of people don't realize that field is 35 feet below ground level. And it's really interesting how many people don't realize that. So we have to now, because of the new regulations, that has to be covered. And uh, I, I think when you look at what can be done from a facility, from an amusement park, from an atmosphere for young kids as well as hotel accommodate or, or the area, what they're trying to do now with the 1,400 parking spaces, there's a lot of things could be done. But that stadium, uh, if you remove all everything all the seats and everything, that's 420,000 square feet of space that you can do an awful lot with. Explain to people what an impact Judge Roy Hoffines made on the community and what kind of a guy, because you, you had a chance to meet him and be around him, what kind of guy he was. Well, Judge and his daughter, Deanie, who I'm very close with right now, Judge Roy Hoffines, to experience how he put this together. And remember, that's when we started the drafting of players coming from other ball clubs here. But what he did with R.E. Bob Smith in putting this incredible dome stadium together with a model of it to show the Major League franchise what they want to do and how he grew and gained the dollars necessary to put this together. That stadium realized, the I think, the growth of Houston made it rapidly change. An identification of Houston's name being put in that Newspaper news every day made a big difference early on. And and we had almost 2 million people visit the Dome without even a game being played. I mean, it had that kind of an impact. And Judge Roja finds, there's a, you know, what he did was just amazing. He was a very extremely bright individual. And how to take a trip to Rome, Italy at the Coliseum, come back with a thought like that is just outstanding. Personality-wise, was he a guy that you walked into a room and everybody kind of knew that he was there? Was he? Did he have sort of a magnetic personality? Oh you call yes, him? he was aggressive. You know, you know the, the likes and dislikes are always there. You know that, but I think he he he, he made sure he expressed his opinions and you knew where he, he was coming from. Well, hey, this has been fantastic. I always love talking to you about what's going on with the Astros now, but I loved hearing about the history and. Uh, just a real pleasure, and I really want to thank you for, for joining me on another Houston Sports Talk. It's been fun. Thank you, Robert. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.